Hello, and welcome to Outside World Occultism, your number one source on Toho-related material that may or may not be true. (laughs) (laughs) I am JT, and I am joined this week by F. Hello there. Lavander. Hi. Katya. Hi. And Nee. I'm alive. For now. Good work. (laughs) (laughs) It was a success. Yes. Welcome back. So this week we're taking a step one cue back from strictly <laughs> speaking in Toho terms. I'm going to keep using cues in conversation until that meme comes back because damn it, nothing ever has come close to replacing oh, no. it. We're going to keep aging ourselves. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's one of the best memes. We're going to scare away the Zoomers. I mean, I'd rather you just use the word in conversation than get, like, overly obsessed about talking about everything in metaphor or anything. <laughs> More than we already do. No, that would be when we uh, start our Chubo's Marvelous Wish Granting Engine podcast. <laughs> and still talk about Toho. The Venn diagram of Toho and Chubo's Marvelous Wish Granting Engine. I mean, you could totally run a Toho campaign in Chubo. You, oh, you absolutely could. On the note of strange meta things, today we're going to be... I'm going to use the least aggressive possible tone I can when I say discussing. (laughs) It is a trend in fiction. It's a trend in like people's approach to fiction with apologies to the person who originally coined the term in literary criticism, which has, if anything, to do the opposite of it, which is what people on the internet like to call deconstruction. Thanks, TV tropes. You can't hear it, but I just threw away my extensive notes on Derrida. (laughs) (laughs) this is more of a rustic episode of the podcast Mm. it's crunchy is it bad that it's actually going to the point that my first association is with like deconstructed pasta (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's a better association it's been a while since i was in any community that was like overly obsessed with deconstructions but then again i guess my life being kind of consumed by toho anyway i mean there are toho communities that are absolutely obsessed with deconstruction but well yeah fair so when we're not talking about food items or french literary critics and honestly dorita would be extremely frustrated with the current usage of the term because the original definition of deconstruction and you might want to correct me on this f it's something like analyzing the work while removing it from external context right well not quite the main thing is that dorita was interested in the idea that all textual works have elements within them that run directly counter their intended meanings. So that's what I meant by deconstruction. You examine the work and pull it apart in close enough detail to see where the text is talking against itself. Yeah. Whereas like a modern like deconstructive fiction is all about the intended meaning of the text. It's heavily handed, usually not necessarily aware takes on what the author presumes the genre they're writing in to be like. It thinks it's aware. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the best term I have for it when I'm being unflattering is it's the dramatic equivalent of those terrible Seltzer and Friedberg comedies. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you've ever had to see something like that, where it's just, I don't even remember that, like, whatever movie, except the first scary movie, where they just throw the last year's pop culture in a blender and call it comedy... <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I guess on, like, the most 
optimistic view, the point of deconstruction is kind of still the same in the terms of like breaking it apart to its base elements and taking a look at those. But obviously it's... Not successful. I don't know if there's ever been, at least in this current wave, uh, like real pure deconstruction that in that sense of the word. There hasn't really been a successful one, I don't think. Yeah, because it usually they get caught up in what the author thinks the thing they're deconstructing is like rather than what it's actually like. Preconceived notions. I'm pretty sure that a deconstruction is when Reimu, like, kills a yokai and, like, laughs about it and then, like, kicks her dead body and then is, like, mean to a person for no reason. I'm, that's de- that's a deconstruction, right? That's so intellectual. Please take my Toho Pulitzer Prize. It's a <laughs> life-size statue of... A deconstruction is a four-hour wealthist movie. You broke Toho down to its bare essentials. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I guess in those cases where the author is actually more familiar with the thing they think they're lampooning, they, it's less of a like a malign deconstruction and more like just making a good example of the genre. Like it doesn't get taken as a deconstruction; it gets taken as a work that has some commentary on the genre, but mostly follows its good parts or something like that. Yeah. Watch Samurai Flamenco uh, <laughs> and also <laughs> Die Hard. <laughs> That's the last time I'll say the names of either of those shows on this podcast. Also, watch Udina. I'm not going to whisper you that You know one. for a fact that you're going to say watch Samurai Flamenco again. <laughs> Obviously, I'm, I'm holding myself to this. Um, oh, yeah. On this episode of this podcast. Oh, yeah. On I, this episode, I can trust you to do that. I'll not say the words again. We'll see. I'll trust you, we'll but see. I don't. I'm not really sure if that's going to happen or not. <laughs> In Toho fiction, a lot of the time deconstruction comes down to, you know, very edgy pieces about yokai eating people and it's so grim and Remu upholds this, like, farming of people for food or Remu's just an asshole and doesn't, like, actually care about people. She torments people for fun, all that sort of thing. It's just edgy. Why is it always Reimu who gets the doom guy treatment? <laughs> because these people have it in their heads that she's invincible from that one translation of Perfect Memento and the old translation of Imperishable Night. Also because there's an undercurrent of, I'm not going to call it anti-intellectualism, but certainly a <laughs> strong cultural dislike for people who are presumed to be like naturally talented at whatever in contrast to Hmm. you know the hard work and guts type which is always heavily projected onto marisa even though that's really not their dynamic yeah Yeah, i feel like marisa i mean she's got like an innate talent for magic she just also works pretty hard at improving herself yeah like obviously she like working really hard and being like you know sort of considered an equal to Remu is a really big thing to her but she does appear to be like you know perfectly satisfied with like playing second fiddle to Remu in terms of god I hate to say it but power levels (laughs) like people love to do like competition between Remu and Marisa and these sorts of things yeah there is a bit of a rivalry there at least from Marisa's point of view oh yeah but I don't mean a rivalry I mean flat out Hates each other competition. That's just reading comprehension, honestly. You think these people read? Yeah. They like to create 
a underlying moral conflict between them and it's easier to make Remu the bad guy in that circumstance if you're just yeah i feel like a lot of the stuff with modern quote-unquote deconstruction is just basically an avenue for the author's ideas about what the actual original work gets wrong about morals even if they don't understand it yeah, definitely a thing in Toho fiction where they like to add a lot of moralism into what is a really an amoral or morally ambiguous when morality comes up setting. Yes. Shout out to every Madoka Magica spinoff. Dark <laughs> oh, shout out to them. Like, on the other hand, there also seems to be some level of, like, rational fic in Toho. Which is kind of deconstruction from a different point of view, but very much still the same caricaturist deconstruction. In what sense? What part do I need to explain? The rational thing. Was that the word you just used? Rational fic. Oh. It's like fanfic that starts with the idea that there's some really obvious thing in the setting that no one in the setting just uses because they're dumb and Either the fic is, they often involve some sort of OC or self-insert, but they don't need to. But the point is that they're like kind of fix fix often centered on the idea that this thing could just be solved with this simple solution that obviously would have worked, but no one in the setting used it for, for some reason. I feel like the most infamous example of this is Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Yeah, that was what named rational fic. And I might add, I hate the name Rational Fic so much. I can imagine. (laughs) Yes, we know, logician. Calm down. I was thinking of, like, I don't know, Rational Wiki or something, where, like, you know, big brain super geniuses come together to discuss, like, philosophy or whatever, and but they're just kind of very full of themselves. I mean, there is some overlap. I mean, it is about as pretentious as that. Obviously, the genre is, like, self-named for the most part. Thank you for explaining that to me because I didn't know. And I guess between this and the thing I mentioned earlier about what a deconstruction is, that makes me the professional dumb person of this episode. Nah. <laughs> no. Actually, that just <laughs> makes you the least wildly online in the early 2000s person, which is actually a good thing to be. It, it makes you the least dumb person on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it illustrates the point that the terms get used and crossed used a lot in different senses, and they mean different things to different people. In this sense, I think I'm going to define a rational fic as something where the conceit is about the setting being broken, and a deconstruction in the sense is the author trying to talk about how the genre is broken. Okay, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. At least in this context. They can overlap too, though. They can definitely overlap, and they often do. Yeah. A lot of rational fics are quote-unquote deconstructions, and a lot of deconstructions are quote-unquote rational fics in the sense of, like, even if it's original fiction, it's rational fic of I'm going to set up these dominoes for the main characters to knock down like they're a puzzle in a D&D encounter for a bunch of my power gaming buddies. Yeah. <laughs> the notion of sort of narrative as a puzzle to be solved is a heavily rational fic idea. Mm-hmm. And both kind of approach the whole thing from the point of view of the original author, either of the specific work or, or just the genre in general, are somehow dumb and missing something. Yeah, it feels like they're just like, 
well, it's bad writing. The characters would have to be stupid or the conceit of the setting is stupid for something like this to happen. Yeah. And as a general rule, I like to say if your dramatic fanfic solutions to the problems that the character is such a super genius for coming up on rely on up to high school physics, I think you can just assume that in setting for whatever reason that doesn't work like if you're writing <laughs> yeah. a rational fic where like i don't know uh harry potter figures out how to manipulate the spin values of individual you know subatomic particles and that's the secret to blowing up dark wizards or something like all right i will read your phd thesis disguised as a fanfic <laughs> and i will respect that this is just changeability of strange dream <laughs> <laughs> It's Dr. Layton's speak report. Yeah. <laughs> but like, if you're going to condescend to me and talk about how clever your protagonist or your Mary Sued version of a story character is, because they like know how to compute a work integral for magic wand makes things fly, yeet. I'm going <laughs> to not buy into that. Yeah. Like, I'm going to laugh at you if you do that. Are we still on the theme, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is relevant though because it's the a lot of is how like esoteric. Yep. The theme is cut this out, just ragging on deconstructions. I'm going to get to the general more ragging on the concept, but to bring it back around to how it works in Toho, a lot of the Toho stuff is not to get too heavy on the Kosuzu can beat up Emiya Shiro stuff. <laughs> but... Shout out to Versus Wiki. Shout out to the Versus Battles Wiki. You've made me laugh more than far, far, far too many professional comedians. <laughs> the notions of why doesn't this character use this power to solve this problem? Because clearly from my assumptions about how this works, they can. And like... Shout out to Flandre. Yeah, shout out to Flandre. Shout out to Sakia. Shout out Yukari. to Romelia. Shout out to the entire embodiment of Scarlet Devil cast. Also, Yukari, stop that. Why don't they just fly everywhere? Why doesn't Sakuya just stop time? And Why does Yuyuko not kill the entirety of Gensokyo? <laughs> Why does Marisa do seek parkour? <laughs> this upsets me. Why does Eren, the tallest Toho, not eat the others? I mean, that's something Eren could ask, but... Hey, Eren has asked herself that question before. <laughs> yeah, she has. The more important question is, would Eren write rational fic? No. Oh my no. God. no. She's above it. She'd write angry reviews of rational fic on fanfiction.net, explaining the flaws in their reasoning and get blocked by the authors. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, for the most part, <laughs> I think Eren isn't really interested in explaining to everyone how she's smarter than them. She just is. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, well... Watch me do this. Yeah. Yeah. There's not really many smart Tohos that are, or in general, there aren't that many Toho characters who are capable at something and care about demonstrating their capability. There aren't that many smart Tohos. Even like, <laughs> true, but there's like, Miko, for instance, is like, yeah, I'm super great at running a government. And anytime that the rest of y'all realize that and come ask me to run your government, you know where to find me. Yeah, it's nobody's like out there bragging about how smart they are. They're just like, well, yeah, I'm the smartest person in the room. But if you don't realize that, that's not my business. Note, they may not actually be the smartest person in the room. If you don't realize I'm the smartest person in the room, then that just makes it clear that I'm smarter than you. Surpri surprisingly humble for Toho characters. 
God, Toho's are so pretentious. Yeah, I think we need to note that Renasuke is the sole and extreme exception to this. But Well, but he's not actually competent. Yeah, that's the thing. Actually competent. You can think of one exception. All the characters that demonstrate their competency in something, whether that's Chirno being the strongest or Renosuke knowing what the fuck is going on, they are clearly and repeatedly shown to be very wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the only character that engages in like self-promotion would be Sega self-promoting about how much of uh, how terrible she is. Yeah, but that's like that just adds to her uh, anti-charm. Yeah, <laughs> she's deliberately contrary. So Sega has anti-charm. But what if that means that Sega's actually really chill and she's just faking it? <laughs> dun 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 dun! This is terrifying to contemplate. She is really chill, but she's like... Well, yeah, she is chill, but it's like a deathly chill. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a question. Would Sega write rational fic, but predicated on the assumptions of 8th century Chinese physics? And yes. Just, yeah. Yes. yeah. And of course, her own idea of morals. She would just make up completely bizarre physical laws and use them in rational fic <laughs> to troll the people who read that stuff. <laughs> the murderer just passed through the wall with their enchanted hairpin and that's how they got into the locked room and also that's how they left it was simple that entire voice i just read all of that in red text <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand that's a legitimate issue with like mystery stories in a toho setting but that's a topic for another day i think my font color in the transcripts is in red oh my god well katya speaks the truth <laughs> i said everything on this podcast was ambiguously true no katya anything katya says is guaranteed to be true by yeah. the laws it is but only unless f contradicts it yeah. true <laughs> <laughs> On the topic of meta things, please read Ubenico if you are like 18 years of age or older and tolerant of a lot of violence. And abuse. Yeah. Yeah. And just content warning, but it's super good. Yeah. Anyway. So the Toho deconstruction fix that I think we were all sort of talked about a bit are like some people are like, oh, is like Zonose's stuff a deconstruction? And I'm like, no, because he's not presenting it as authoritative right yeah. he's like this is this crazy yeah zonose is just like this is funny yeah i thought this would come up yeah it's this his is... crazy thought experiments i was actually about to bring up zonose before you got into this this is my funky thought experiment where yokai eat people this is not actually what i think gensokyo is really like but isn't it cool yeah, i mean yeah i mean honestly yeah. that should have been clear by the time there was like a cannery for human meat <laughs> in one of the earlier ones. Yeah. Does the author's intent matter that much here when it comes to like reading something like that and uh, using it using it to sort of interpret your view of Gensokyo? It's fair to call it deconstructive. Yeah, it resembles deconstructions, but... Also, it has key points where it doesn't actually fall into the senses that deconstructions do. Yeah. For example, there's like little to no actual moral posturing. There is just like, okay, these are this person's morals and these are this other person's morals. We're not going to tell you about mm -hmm. 
which ones are the good ones and which ones are the bad ones. But anyway, here's a joke panel of Aya and Momiji fighting. I don't think the moral aspect is necessarily a, a, like a necessary condition for it to be a deconstruction. I think Yeah, it's not a necessary. I think the crucial distinction is that there's is the tone, right? It's not yeah. presenting yeah. it in a way that's saying this is how this would turn out. Yeah, I think that's also pretty obvious from like the constant interspersing of jokes in those doujins too. Yeah, that I think deconstruction kind of has to be a like conscious process. It's a way for the yeah. author to approach the work, not a way for the reader to approach the work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there are some people who take certain works that were obviously intended as heavier quotes deconstructions and take them as straight tellings of the genre, but just with a more unique twist. So I think it definitely depends on what the author is thinking in this particular case, because that's just the point of something being... Dorita is so mad at us right now. <laughs> is that going to be the title of this episode? Since this is the second time in the short while that Sonos has come up, I think it's like fair to note for the air quotes other side that, I mean, it's fair to dislike any of his works for the content in them, even though the it's ironic, so to speak. But for me personally, the fact that it is like not meant to be taken seriously does take away a lot of the most annoying aspects of it. And there's a lot of his works that don't have any to do with them anyway. Oh gosh, it's been so long since I read a Zonase thing, but the one where like the Moria family like has to partake in the rituals of Gensokyo or whatever to like truly become welcome there, and this yeah. means that Sane has to like eat a person who is like chosen by the human village to be ritually sacrificed and then eaten. That's definitely got a five-page philosophy ramble in the afterward. <laughs> Only five, yeah, but <laughs> I can't really remember that one really being like that one was quite a sober one. I feel like it definitely helps to read the philosophy rambles in Zonose's afterwards. Yeah, and I mean, he doesn't like, there isn't comedy on all of them, but the main point is that, I mean, including that, it's more of a thought experiment, kind of. Yeah, it's examining an absurd situation with varying levels of absurdity. Yeah. But throughout, even in his serious doujins, the seriousness and like the horror element comes from how unfamiliar of a situation this is yeah yeah it comes from something that is just fundamentally unlike what you would see in a normal situation it comes from the alienness of it all i think the horror does yeah, yeah. though zonose does write some works that could fit into normal gensokyo they're just a minority so we're talking about more the ones that are obviously canon divergent here. Yeah, the ones that are that give him his reputation. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. the ones I would send through time traveling mail to H.P. Lovecraft just to get his reaction. <laughs> 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 and so I think the distinction between like a dark work and a deconstructive work in how it's sort of defined these days is that you can be dark without asserting the darkness as the quote unquote natural consequence of whatever it is you're writing about, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the issue I sort of take with a lot of fans of 
broader quote-unquote deconstructive media which is people who are like talking about like magukas or evangelion (laughs) as being like here's this genre but realistic and i'm like no it's this genre with a completely alien plot device being added to it yeah it's this genre but it's not what would magical girls be like it's what would magical girls be like if the mascot was mephistopheles yeah (laughs) Mm mm-hmm like seriously, it's it's just Faust, Gen Yoruguchi. It, it literally just is just Faust. And it was better when it was called Common Rider Gaim anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and both were better when they were called Common Rider Ryuki. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like like in a vacuum, without all the baggage of the term and obviously the most of the context where it tends to be used, deconstruction wouldn't need to be dark. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the best stuff that actually does what deconstructive fiction claims to do... Is actually absurd, rather than... Haven't forbidden myself from saying watch Die Guard again, but (laughs) if you want a quote-unquote mecha deconstruction, that is the best one I've seen, and it is a comedy. Yeah. Right. It's, uh... Yeah, I feel like, honestly, some of the best deconstructions are comedies. Yeah. Because... Fiction is generally absurd. It's easier to point out the absurdities in something when you're... The goal is to highlight that it's absurd, whereas a lot of deconstructive stuff is to say, this absurdity would not arise, so what would happen instead of it? And that's how you get your, like, Mad Max superhero worlds, where, like, Superman is fighting the Flash for control of the Midwest and stuff like that, (laughs) where it's just like, you know, oh, no one would play by these rules, so I'm going to assume completely different ways that this would turn out. Yeah, just because you're assuming new rules that something would realistically work under doesn't actually mean that you're some all-knowing demon that... There's nothing that says your assumptions are better than the other authors. Exactly. Yes. Like, uh, Unless you have personally lived through a world full of superheroes, then you have just as much authority as to what would happen as the f- person who wrote the work that your so-called deconstruction bounces off of in the first place. Yeah, and I was going to ask that, like, again, at their like core principles, what would be the like clear difference between a deconstruction and a very insightful parody? But I think that kind of answers it. Oh, a parody yeah. is absolutely a form of deconstruction. Okay, yeah. A parody is mm-hmm. a good deconstruction. <laughs> Honestly, the best genre deconstruction thing that I would probably cite is the film Airplane. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a absolutely absurd comedy, but if you watch the genre of films it's making fun of, those like Disaster on a Plane, like, that was a whole thing. And that genre just ceased to exist after Airplane. Uh, because yeah. no one could take it seriously anymore. Yeah, I guess that happens. If you can destroy a genre that well with pure comedy, that is a sign that you have made an amazing deconstruction. The most genres aren't actually that easy to destroy. That's again like a big difference to like if we're talking about blockbuster like parody movies, that's again a big difference to the mother ones mentioned earlier that are just like a bunch of not funny references thrown together rend- yes. in a random mm-hmm. mess. And so that's the comedy distinction, right? Where it's just like, haha reference or actually knowing what you're talking about and making a joke out of it. The only other films I would sort of put on that list are, if you've ever seen Hot Fuzz, mm. 
Simon Pegg, that sort of Edgar Wright's general production group. It is like an amazing lampoon of American cop movies while also playing every American cop movie cliche that they could figure out as straight as possible. It is an excellent film just because the people involved know what they're doing and i think that's the distinction is are you writing something that is lampooning something that you know and something your audience knows or are you lampooning something that you and your audience have a mental image of without much direct experience with i feel like a good example of the sort of thing that's a deconstruction of the genre that the authors doing the deconstructing actually have no idea what it contains would be something like Doki Doki Literature Club. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Western visual novels in general have a very, like, there is this whole pre-built assumption of the quote-unquote dating sim, which isn't even the word used in Japanese. Visual novel isn't either, but like Doki Doki Literature Club is essentially built on the Western stereotypes of a genre of Japanese games and lampooning those. It's also built on disdain for those, I feel. Oh, absolutely. Which is an element common to a lot of quote-unquote deconstructions. Or even when the deconstruction itself is not made with disdain, a lot of its fandom will rally around the disdain. And you see that especially with things like, again, Madoka, Evangelion, Gaim. Mm -hmm. You're bringing in a lot of people who are aware of the genre in the sense that they have this pop cultural image of it and you're presenting them with something more quote unquote intellectual or whatever. And they jump on that and take what you're doing as criticism of their niche. Even if you like Hideaki Anno, wasn't like actually out to take the piss out of Mecca. That was Tomino's job and always has been. But <laughs> a lot of people take that as, you know, throwing around and getting rid of these old cliches that these toy commercials have had forever because that's the image they have going in. If anything, it was taking the piss out of otaku. Madoka yes. really was made with the uh, hatred of magical girls, oh. wasn't it? Yeah, Madoka was made with a bit more disdain. Yeah, Yurabuchi is a much more contemptuous... I don't even think it was disdain for magical girls specifically. I think it's just a disdain for positive ideology. yeah. Like, Gaim and Fate Zero and stuff, Yurobuchi is not a guy who likes the idea of heroes. Hmm. Yeah, he's not a person who even likes the idea of a world being able to be happy without heroes either, so... Yeah, he's essentially saying the world needs heroes, but no one can actually be a hero, so you're kind of fucked. Mm-hmm. And again, watch Kamen Rider Gaim, it is a good show, but like, you can tell throughout the repeated number of times that the main character has to fail and lose his resolve and over and over again. And it's just like, sure, it ends on a positive note. So does Madoka, technically. So does the actual good Madoka. Yeah. So does Fate Zero, even, because it leads into to Stay Night. And at the you know what the common element that gets most people their decent ending is, or in Fate's case... Uh, results in more tragedy because it was a prequel but it's always the protagonist the good person gets their hands on an omnipotent wish-granting device that's the only way you get a happy ending in a a (laughs) story it's basically just telling you well you don't have your hands on that magical wish-granting whatever it is so you in the real world are actually fucked (laughs) i am afraid to 
imagine what a Toho made by Gen Oroguchi would look like. Please don't make me imagine that thing. Probably something more like psychopaths. I mean, I feel like there's a few fan works that probably approach that. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of, like, the infamous four-hour Walthus movie is pretty much Gen Yurabuchi's Gappy fic. A lot of them are attempting to be Gen Urobuchi's yeah. deconstruction, but... The problem that a lot of Toho fanworks have to be quote-unquote Yurobuchi-esque is that they don't have the, like, ideological element as much. They're much more... They focus on the bloody conflict and all that. They don't realize that, like, the key is taking a nihilistic ideology into it from the get-go, rather than just, hey, there's murder here. Not that I actually like the whole nihilism. Besides positive nihilism, that's good. <laughs> that's positive. I think, like, nihilistic works can be interesting, they can, yeah. Like, I do like the Yurabuchi works I've cited so far for what they are. Like, yeah. I'm not going to say they're a masterpiece, but I, I mean, I enjoyed watching them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily make them bad works, but it does kind of limit the possibilities. Yeah, the works aren't bad, but when you can only tell one story, I'm going to ask questions about you as a writer. <laughs> I'm going to ask questions about you as a person. Yeah, honestly, when the one story you can write is Gen Yurobuchi's, but... <laughs> bringing it back around to Toho again, the thing that a lot of the dark Toho stuff comes on is the... I think it's much less there's a nihilistic element to it, and much more it's a moralistic element to it. People really want there mm -hmm. to be a moral conflict, a quote-unquote plot. And you see this a lot with people complaining about Toho uh -huh. stuff and recent directions. It's, well, what's when's he going to do something? Like, what's the plot isn't happening? And it's like, that's not the kind of story this is. Yeah. People want a big battle. They want a dramatic story with high stakes. Yeah, basically, when it isn't about more conflict, then it needs to be that since this setting sucks so much, then everyone involved in it has to be horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If there's no moral mm -hmm. conflict, the author concludes, then everyone must be equally immoral. Exactly. Or alternately, there is my favorite character, the shining moral paragon of justice, who is horribly mistreated by everyone else in the setting and the authors and all the creators. That's just cruel. Well, this will be a long digression, so you go ahead. I want to uh, deconstruct deconstructions. Oh, no. Oh, that was a <laughs> on the schedule. <laughs> Go on. All right, let's get into it, then. Oh, well, I think this is actually like a formal Therita-style deconstruction, but one of the things that strikes me about them is that you have, like, the overall purpose of the deconstruction is to try and illuminate what really happens in the, like, assumed background, the assumed setting, by taking everything more or less at face value. But in order to have this work and produce something that is meaningfully distinct that is you know darker or edgier or grimmer or all three at once you have to introduce elements that do not exist in the original work so you have that tension where you know the deconstruction is supposed to be an act of truth telling this is what's really going on but in order to do that you have to fabricate and add in additional things to make it your case you know, so it's reading, it's talking against itself, which is, you know, to be kind of unkind for a moment here, why most deconstructive fan work is just not very good. 
You say to not be kind, and then you say that far more politely than every word to come out of my mouth. Not on just this episode, but this entire podcast. Just to establish the baselines of the personalities here. You are an incredibly polite person. (laughs) Comparatively to at least me and JT. I'm polite. I'm just Midwestern polite, where I apologize to you in such a way that I'm insulting three generations of your family. That's not polite. It's Midwestern polite. That's Kasani Baraki. (laughs) Okay, sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, either they're like taking everything at face value and introducing something else, but a lot of the time it's also like more like subtly taking everything at face value, like, selectively. Like, taking yeah. some yeah. parts at face value while ignoring all the other parts that soften those things or, like, explain them away. Yeah, like, if you, there's something that says, oh, actually, this is generally an okay place sometimes, then they'll just say, oh, that was a lie constructed by blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything that fits the agenda is true and everything that isn't is false, which is a common fallacy to say the least, but... Especially in Toho fandom, where all the works are unreliable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's because people don't want to accept that unreliability, so they have to find the truth, which just conveniently happens to always agree with whatever it is they already think. Mm -hmm. There are some fans who take the unreliability far too seriously. Oh yes, definitely. Actually use it as a grounding for doing whatever the hell they want because i mean you don't need grounding to do whatever the hell you want that just don't like present it as of affordative yeah interestingly i feel like this is kind of reflected in our own like criticisms of uh wild and horned hermit specifically <laughs> oh absolutely mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> where we kind of maybe thought or understood Wild and Hermit to be something that it's not, and so we had very particular expectations of what it yeah. should be. Yeah. I feel like it failed at what it was intending to be, even looking back at it in hindsight now, but I feel like our earlier criticisms of it may have been from a perspective of expecting it to be something that it wasn't I mean, yeah. yeah exactly i don't think our criticism especially of the ending is uh, like unfounded or anything like that i just think that maybe for a good portion of you know the time that we spent reading wild and horned hermit like maybe our expectations were not really aligned with like what sun was going for i think that's definitely true and i think that managing audience expectations especially in a serial work is something the author needs to own, but at the same time... Yeah. Yeah, precisely. That doesn't make not filling expectations bad unless you're someone who is doing it on purpose for shock value. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like... Okay, if people expected something different, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but... It's a shared responsibility. Yeah, Yeah. it's shared between the audience and the author. Like, my lingering feeling for... Like Horn Tournament, for instance, is mostly just like a missed opportunity, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's how I feel about kind of Kassen as a whole. <laughs> I don't feel like Zun like wrote Kassen wrong or something like that. Yeah. But I think it, I would have liked to see it go differently, and that's basically just <laughs> that's what matters. 
Yeah, that's the core yeah. of our distaste for it, I think. Um, I also, this is a question that I've been thinking about. Um, like, if someone has ever written a sort of deconstructive look at Toho, would Wild and Horn Hermit be that? Uh, I think it's shared between... Because it's, it's hard to say a deconstructive look at Toho because... Toho was constantly deconstructing itself. It's always a different perspective, which is necessarily going to sort of be deconstructive, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if you write the same story from the perspective of the dashing captain, it looks very different if you write that story from the perspective of the put-upon second-in-command. And just shifting those perspectives on the same story, I think that is kind of deconstructive. Mm Mm-hmm. And actually, that is one of my, like, favorite, like, plot devices and, and story conceits is, like, here's this classical kind of story, but told from the perspective of the king's loyal butler or something, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. rather than uh, being off fighting dramatic wars in the background while this guy's managing, you know, trying to figure out what the consequences of your food tester being executed for espionage instead. Looking at the same kind of story from a different angle is, I think, definitely deconstructive in both like Dorita's sense of examining things Dorito's sense yeah Dorito's sense Dorito's <laughs> sense of uh Dorito's yeah Dorito's Jacques Dorito's my Dorito sense is tingling <laughs> inventor of the Dorito potato chip uh, <laughs> the cool ranch theory of literary criticism <laughs> potato <laughs> Nominating the Cool Ranch Theory of Literature for the title of this episode. Third <laughs> 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 it. Alright. F just like she just sits there for the entire episode and then chimes in with the best joke. <laughs> <laughs> Credit to that. I am a machine gun style of comedy, and you're just sitting in the background with your sniper rifle ready to take me out. (laughs) I've had a lot of really good stuff to say about, you know, from a more academic perspective, which I think is, like, what she's really good at. Like, just, like, just being the actual brains of the show. (laughs) (laughs) The other four of us share, like, a good five or ten brain cells, but F is there just existing. With at least 15. I mean, <laughs> even if F had like three, that would still be more than us on average. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Shout out to F for naming this episode. Anyway, mm-hmm. but I think that the it's hard to talk about deconstruction without talking about perspective because it's all about when is the story contradicting itself? What else is there to see than what we're supposed to see? And I think switching from like Kasin to Kosuzu's perspectives, we see a lot of things that not only that we wouldn't see from that other character's perspective, but what that character wouldn't see yeah. from their perspective. What they mm-hmm. absolutely couldn't see, basically. Yeah, yeah. kind of tragically, that's exactly where like a lot of the more pointed interpretations of the setting also come from. Even though yeah. if, if the point is for Zun to be hopping between perspectives to provide more perspective to the setting then a lot of the time the differences between the perspective are what ends up confusing people and making them believe that soon's like contradicting himself and i mean i think yeah why are there like five Remus? <laughs> it doesn't really serve anyone's purposes to pretend that he never like goes against one of his own themes or isn't perfectly consistent in tone between stories or something but i mean he has the right to do that 
he even talks about that in regards to Wily Beast and Weakest Creature himself, so... Yeah. It isn't a good idea to, like, totally deny it, but it's also better not to get your undergarments in a twist about it. <laughs> your bloomers. I don't even think it's something that one needs to deny, necessarily. I don't even think it's quote-unquote bad writing. I think it's just, like... Yeah a legitimate storytelling technique whether he's doing it consciously or not because like if i were to look at the last two years of my life that is not a story one tells in consistent tone there are so many plot holes in my (laughs) storyline i feel like toho is definitely the type of story that is just like wow this could actually happen to these people but if it's a story that's just like events happening to someone you are going to end up with some contradictions and themes because somebody's life isn't thematic yeah mm-hmm. usually i mean thematic. except in a really broad sense yeah. but yeah or if they live on Discworld. toho's themes are a little more esoteric than yeah a broad sense if your life is proving to be thematic you may be eligible for compensation <laughs> <laughs> Mesothemlioma. <laughs> Metathemlioma. Uh, oh! Oh my god. <laughs> These are terrible. You beat me to the joke, but you also mangled it, so I get to say it anyway. You one-upped my joke. So, is there anything else you want to talk about? No, that's the on... joke. <laughs> we don't want to talk about anything else. We're done. I think we have been, like, avoiding getting into detail on Forbidden Scrollery because we want to do, like, an episode about it. But I yeah. think we should talk about that sometime soon because it's, like, such a... Do we a... want to do that? Next week would be Unsealing Club. Do we want to do that the week after next? I don't know if we have an Unsealing Club topic, so we might just skip it or something. Yeah, I don't have an Unsealing Club right. topic yeah. picked out because I would probably have to do something more esoteric now that we are finished most of the setting stuff yeah i don't want to do it a week from now because i want to like really reread forbidden scrollery and not like start to finish Mm. which i I have done like several times but i would like to do it again just in preparation yeah all right well Um, we'll do it in a couple weeks then so stay tuned for that listeners there is also leave our podbean page loaded on your browser at all times (laughs) this is your only warning (laughs) can we actually if we're actually done with this topic, then do we have, I don't know, some new asks or something to throw, at, throw on the end? We're only at like 54 minutes and we've had a lot of um, long breaks. Aren't we really done with it? Like, have we talked about everything? I feel like we haven't. Yeah, I don't feel like we've talked a lot about... Oh yeah, that works too. The stuff that we were supposed to be talking yeah. about. Yeah, everyone just seems to be moving off the topic suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess. Oh yeah, we are only... We are not very long in we've covered deconstructive sort of what the thing means in general how it looks we've looked i guess do we want to talk about because we've sort of covered it in detail in fan work and i don't want to be like going too specific into specific fan works because yeah i don't think we should take like individual negative examples yeah positive examples are fine but that would just be rude to the writers i I suppose we could talk about gabby fix (laughs) We could. I mean, Gappy Fix and the deconstruction of Gappy Fix was a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, it was also part of the motivation for this episode. And so for those of you who were not in the Toho fandom like 10 years ago, a Gappy Fix was... I honestly only know like secondhand. Yeah, you're wiser than I. Uh... God, I wish I were you. (laughs) I also don't read a lot of like Western fanfic anyway. (laughs) Dojin translator number one. 
<laughs> so Gabby Fix were a trend in like 10, 12 years ago now where mediocre dude from the outside world, sometimes a girl, but usually a dude, gets dropped into Gensokyo by Yukari for some ambiguously sinister agenda, usually outright sinister because she was super easy to cast as the villain. Yeah, that's where the Gabby part comes from. She still gets super easily cast as the yeah. villain. Goes around having adventures, usually romancing the author's favorite Toho character, then gets into some big climactic confrontation in the event that the fic ends, which most of them don't. They just sort of wander off and the author gets tired and or realizes what they've unleashed upon this earth. (laughs) (laughs) And it sort of is one of those things that built up a really big following. It still sort of has one on fanfic.net, but also like, why are you using that site for Toho? (laughs) Just filter off explicit on AO3. Yeah. And like this, so this was like the dominant thing in the Western fan community for some time. There were like whole sites dedicated to. Until literally the early 2010s, there was just absolutely nothing in the Western fandom besides that. There were a few. There were a few, but it was just like... It was the rare, rare good Western Toho fanfic. And I think part of that is the fault of the level of translated materials being available and, you know, everyone builds on everyone else and all that. Like, I don't think it was necessarily a bad trend in of itself. Like, I'm not going to disparage an entire genre of fanfic because of the existence of bad examples. I'm not a huge fan of it. I feel like it was just often badly done. I was just going to suggest that the fact that a lot of the setting, especially for the Western fandom, was basically just a, like a very bare bones actual setting and a collection of characters with some wacky traits. Then that definitely yeah. like yeah. affects what kind of stories you end up telling with them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like people getting into Toho nowadays don't have the idea that to a lot of people, Toho literally was just wacky girls beating each other up and drinking tea because there wasn't any other... There was no forbidden scrollery. There was no wild and horned hermit. There was no... There was no silent center in blue for a long time. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was, but it wasn't complete and it wasn't well translated. Right. And today the books took a while to get translated. Yeah. Even after they came out. I feel like Perfect Memento also started a pretty big shift in the Western fandom and a pretty big pushback against that shift. Yeah. (laughs) Really dark times. I think the breaking point was Symposium, and not just because that was when a bunch of other large collections of characters' games became available. Yeah. People had already started to be disillusioned with the fact that no, Toho was not cute girls doing cute things, and Symposium was kind of, wait, Mitori is what?! (laughs) <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are still extremely mad about the quote-unquote retcons in Symposium because of... Found perception. They have personalities yeah. now. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nitori was kind of a jerk from Subterranean Animism on, but... Yeah, and I don't know, my thought is that it's almost as if Miko returned from the grave in order to save us from that uh, <laughs> earlier age of fandom, but far be it for me to suggest such a thing. <laughs> she also casts trans your gender. What else can she do? I think that we should have Miko run the government. I agree. 
You can make a religion out of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I think the other thing that we haven't really talked about is really, we've talked about it quite a lot on the show, but the other thing we haven't talked about in this context is the Hifu CDs and that world. Hmm. Like, yeah, I think. Would we call that really a sort of deconstruction of Toho? I um, think they're really strongly just like approaching Toho. They kind of approach Toho from a perspective where the rest of the setting hasn't been like explained in any way. I think it's really interesting to me, like while reading them, like how if you were really reading them in a vacuum, then you would just assume that it was basically, wow, these girls are having some weird adventures. I sure hope that nothing happens to them because they're kind of getting into hot water nowadays. And the vague like visits to Gensokia and stuff like that would be really esoteric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, what? what is this other world they're going to? Why is there a reference to Matsumoto in here? Yeah, like they're... <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because they present the main setting and the main story of the series as a mystery yeah mm-hmm. yeah where and so to them everything the audience knows is the mystery and the audiences in turn is looking not at what are they trying to figure out but like a sort of second order to bring cules back into it yeah. like how does what they're trying to figure out relate to what we actually know is true and what can we figure out about what they experience in their day-to-day lives too because now it's just the mundane world that's a mystery to us yeah and i mean yeah even gensokyo is actually really secondary to their like whole dream hopping thing and stuff like that they mostly visit other places and like have visions of weird artifacts in the real world and stuff like that that has nothing to do with gensokyo gensokyo has been mentioned exactly twice in regards to places maribel visits Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it only twice? I mean, I can name only t- two off the top of my head, but... <laughs> yeah, it's only twice. It's Dr. Latency and Changeability. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, because yeah. they go to the netherworld a couple times, but they don't go... I mean, Mary goes to the bamboo forest, and doesn't she also visit the mansion? Yeah, but that's both in Changeability of Strange Dream. Yeah, I was thinking of those as separate things, probably. And yeah. the bamboo forest isn't actually during the time that it's Ginsokyo anyway. Hmm. It's like 500 years in the past or something. 700. Yeah. Oh, dang. But anyway. 700 years in our past. Who knows how many years in Maribel's past. And (laughs) even though, like, the Hifu cities are looking at Toho from an outside perspective, so to speak, literally, they don't really, like, comment on mainline Toho's themes or stuff like that so much. I mean, obviously, there's some parts that are, like, uh, philosophical rambles on Sun's part and stuff like that, but they're not, like deconstructing anything like related to the main line That's yeah true. if anything they're staying in line with the themes of the main line games yeah, and that's true yeah. that's really interesting to me then actually because they're just he, doing it from a different perspective yeah mary's power is literally sort of to pull apart the world and look at it hmm. from sort of an outside perspective but that's not really what she does in the story so much. Shout out to Mary seeing that everybody sees their own version of reality. Just going, well, it's interesting how we can all get along to some degree now and minding <laughs> our own business. 
Yeah, so despite Mary being, you know, such a, having the potential to be like a really powerful deconstructive force, I guess, in terms of Toho canon. She doesn't want to be that sort of thing. Yeah, she's not really used that way by Zun. Yeah, and I mean, by our main theory that we're subscribing, she's quite literally the one who ends up building it, so... I think it's actually quite interesting that in the first couple of CDs, the the reason that looking over borders into other worlds is forbidden is because it'll lead to the deconstruction of those borders. And that's actually something that Maribel has the potential to do, but she instead doesn't... Doesn't. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't destroy the things that contradict each other. She just leaves the contradictions be because that's what reality is. And I think that's the interesting analogy back to the deconstruction of fiction and things. Because mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. A lot of the best quote-unquote deconstructions are the ones that pick through these expectations and tropes and all that and they not only do they pick them apart and look at them but they say and here's how we can put them together yeah yeah now imagine if the hifu club cds were written by gen Urobuchi. <sighs> don't think oh <laughs> no oh no God. i will only accept zun and ikuhara <laughs> <laughs> oh god um, I would actually read an Ikuhara Hifu story. I mean, on the other hand, I started imagining like a, I don't know, like a fate story written by Zun. That would be interesting. Zun could do fate, honestly. Yeah. Uh, it has a sufficiently broad thematic tone to it. He could do fate, but he'd probably end up making it less fate-like yeah. than usual. He could do fate, but Takeuchi would fire him for not pandering to the otaku enough. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Zun's like if we're talking about like a mainline story so to speak, then his like pre-battle banter would definitely fit in pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which is still like the even though in terms of text and story and stuff like that, most of Toho comes from the manga and stuff like that. There's a reason that the game dialogues are still kind of iconic. I'll cryo freeze you together with some English beef. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Is that it then? For real this time? Yeah, we're at a minute nine. I think so. A minute. A minute. In my delighted time. Like, before we finish the episode, I do want to change topics real quick. This probably should have come up at the beginning of the episode, but it doesn't matter. We just keep shuttling around to topics at top speed. This is... I organized this. We don't... Yeah, it doesn't matter. This is a deconstructed episode. Um, (laughs) You organized this. (laughs) Yeah, I organized this. This is how I organize things. I put things into a pile and see what things are relevant at any given time. I mean, do you see how my Unsealing Club episodes go? You're not alone. (laughs) So there was a bit of news recently that um, Zun registered some trademarks for uh, Toho Project. Which... And there was a bit of freakouts about this news because there are a lot of people who don't know what a trademark is and what it actually means. Yeah, I yeah. think it felt a little like, what's the word, there sensationalist was... also. Mm-hmm. And yeah, straight up misinformation too. 
Yeah, there was like a little bit of panic, it felt like, about, you know, what is this going to mean for creators and that kind of thing. And, you know, the answer is exactly nothing. Probably Zun is not going to be issuing a DMCA takedown of your doujin. Like, that's, yeah, that would go against literally everything that he's worked yeah. for his entire life. Wasn't like Toho Project, like written with two kanji and the rest in Romanche, wasn't yes. that already trademarked years ago? Yeah, that was already trademarked like ages ago. He just trademarked like all the katakana spells. Yeah, which is used in yeah. some specific alternate like materials. I think it's basically essentially to ward off bootlegs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think yeah. it's also if he's working on releases for different platforms and things a lot yeah. of times the katakana and romaji names and stuff need to be trademarked if you know whatever publisher is making a deal yeah yeah it's purely a thing on the legal end but um <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> say it <laughs> don't say it on this podcast at least we don't want to speculation say it <laughs> I'm going to remove you, Lavender. But all I'm saying is uh, this would be a sort of necessary legal move, <laughs> I think, if Zun were to work with a very large uh, corporation um, in order to, for instance, put Rayman in Smash. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I really don't think that it's just a good idea to bring this up on a podcast because we'll get quoted and stuff. Yeah. Uh. I mean, yeah. don't quote us. This is wild speculation. This is satire. Put it in the same category as all our previous Raymond Smash choking. <laughs> F, we need you to contradict Katya before the red text sets in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm using my red text to declare that Raymond is going to be in Smash. F, say something. <laughs> She's silent. It's official. I, I can't help this. Uh, please send all complaints regarding this ruling to uh, one Featherine Auguste Aurora uh, address <laughs> multiple cules from anywhere that you can reasonably send mail. Uh, anyway. I think that's it for that, this episode. I think, has been Outside World Occultism for the week. Thank you for mm -hmm. trying to follow along with whatever it is we're talking about. <laughs> Or were we talking at all? What does it mean to communicate? Uh, see you next week, if weeks exist, which they may or may not. See you next not. week. Bye. Bye. We will all be theoretically alive then. We'll see. Yes, we will see. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.